GMGM, welcome to the Unstoppable Podcast. My name is Josh Gordon. I'm your host, and thank you for being here. Whether you're listening to this on a walk right now, commuting to work, maybe you're hanging out with family or just playing this in the background while you're in your house, I really appreciate you listening to this podcast and joining me every single week. It's the last week of the year in the final podcast episode of 2022, and I wanted to put together a few of my favorite clips from guests we've had on over the entirety of 2022. I find myself coming back to this episode time and time again. Matt Gould, CEO of Unstoppable Domains, talks about why everyone needs a Web3 domain. Domains need to be human-readable. I'll say it again. Domains need to be human-readable. Our wallet addresses in the current form are not. And that's why I think Web3 domains are the coolest NFT right now, because every single crypto user will need one. Every crypto user will have a wallet address that needs a better, safer user experience, and Web3 domains provide just that. Can you start walking us through now? Like, Let's pull the differences between your wallet address and an NFT domain. You know, I think a lot of people associate their wallet address or even their Ethereum address as their identity. And an NFT domain can be so much more than just, you know, that address that's associated with your MetaMask, for example. So can you walk us through some of those differences? Well, I think the most important thing is that domains are human readable. This cannot be stated enough. When I'm talking to engineers, I think they, they underestimate it. Like great UX is super important. Everyone who uses the internet goes to a domain now, like google.com. They don't go to an IP address. That makes it a lot easier to share information about yourself and to allow others to look it up. That's simply, if it did nothing else, that would be enough, right? And I think that that's a huge improvement that you need to have. But the other thing that it does, which is really nice, is because it's one level of abstraction above your wallet addresses, is that it's called indirection, that ability to point to a lot of things. And then that's super useful. So like when you use an NFT domain, you can attach 50 different cryptocurrency addresses to it, right? And those 50 different cryptocurrency addresses can live on 50 different networks. And as things get more complicated, they could even be associated to you could have like multiple addresses for your, even your Ethereum address. And they actually just go to three different places, maybe because you have a personal a business and then like a, a savings account or something. So that level of indirection is going to allow you to point to more things. And it's also much more future proof. So I think it really comes down to those two things is that it's human readable. And then that one extra level of abstraction makes it more flexible. So that's why I think it's the next step. And if you think about it, if you go back in time to 1990 or wherever before domain names, a lot of people associated their website with their IP address. They were like, what's your website? And they would say their IP address. And that's what they thought it was because they were the super early users. And I think it's the same thing right now with people using Ethereum is they, they're like, oh yeah, this is my wallet address. That's, that's, my, that's my ID or whatever. But this is the moment in time and everyone's going to eventually convert over to using something that's easier to share with others, just like they did with IP addresses 25 plus years ago. So, you know, we've seen this before. It's going to play out exactly the same way. And it's also going to be super empowering. You know, if we're going to get the non-crypto native people to start using this technology, it needs to be easier. One of the popular use cases for NFTs that was explored in 2022 was around membership and access. Now, the Board Ape Yacht Club emerged as the exclusive club where you needed an NFT to get into a party. And no, parties are not the most impactful use case for NFTs, but it does show the possibility. Membership to access, people, resources, content, or events 
All of this happened in 2022 and show really interesting ways that ownership of digital assets can be used to provide access to goods and services. During this interview with Maria Shen, she breaks down an example of why this feature of NFTs is so powerful and how the composable nature of the technology allows for others to build applications that reward membership and tap into communities in new ways. The ability for these interests to kind of be shared through like denoting through like owning the NFT itself, I think is interesting. So like you can think of a world where if this membership were an NFT, I can go into the smoothie shop and like prove that I own this Equinox NFT. And this smoothie shop doesn't need to like, you know, ping the Equinox servers. They don't need to talk to Equinox at all. All they have to do is say like, oh, you own this membership NFT. I know, like I can verify that you own this membership NFT. Therefore, you did pay for it. Therefore, you do have these characteristics. Like therefore, you know, maybe you get a discount on your smoothie, something like that. This is like kind of like a toy example. But I think this this is like widely applicable even in the NFT space today. We can see like crypto native ways of this emerging where, for example, during NFT NYC, there were parties where like, you know, only a board ape members could attend. And that was held by like the board ape yacht club in general, but actually it doesn't even need to be right. There were also parties where, you know, there were like five different NFT collections where it's like, if you owned any one of the following five collections, you are welcome to the party. And that party was not held by Board Ape Yacht Club. Like that party was not held necessarily by any of the collections. It was just held by an entity that was interested in connecting with people who owned those things. So I think that kind of like that kind of ability for people to compose or like to to leverage that membership and kind of what it says about the person is an interesting shared way of of working with subscriptions and memberships in general. And then I think lastly like this is this is probably just cool. I don't know like how exciting it is as a use case, but I do think it's interesting is just the ability for you to like sell your membership. And that's not something you like right now you can only start a membership and you can like cancel a membership, but you can't you can't sell it. I kind of think about like there are like really exclusive golf clubs, right? For example, where it's like there's only limited number of memberships and you have to wait for some, like you have to wait for a member to die before you can like become a new member before that like thing frees up. And so I think when you have systems where you own the membership itself, you can actually like sell that off, you can trade it, you can speculate on it. And so it kind of opens up like a neat world of things that the membership holder can do as well. Totally. There was a lot to unpack there. You mentioned a lot of different kind of reasons why this proof of patronage type of functionality for NFTs are important. A couple things I want to mention are, as you were talking about, like the Equinox and smoothie example, it kind of popped into my mind on how for so long, just in the I would say in business planning and city planning and real estate. And when you're looking to buy your first home, you pay attention to what schools are nearby or what businesses, how close are you to a grocery store? And all of a sudden in this like digital world though, some of those principles I think are still there. It's what can this give me access to? And the more popular that membership card becomes, the more other people like, but the cool thing about the digital world is you don't need to live near me to build something cool or useful for me to access. Anyone in the world can now build a service or an application 
or something really like really fun that I might like that my access card gets me and but now without those physical barriers. So I think it's a, re- a great analogy to the, the smoothie shop. It's just the smoothie shop has to be next door to the Equinox to actually attract customers. Whereas if you hold an NFT, you can go anywhere in the metaverse and, and access a business or a service. Sahil was an early Web2 builder at Pinterest and is an entrepreneur in the creator economy space as the founder of Gumroad. He's even experimented with building dApps and NFTs. Now, Sahil joined the Unstoppable podcast to talk about form, time, possession, and place utility, and how Web3 unlocks utility in creative ways around these four areas. He encourages entrepreneurs to consider these four forms of utility when building in the crypto space. You shared a, a doc with me that you were kind of iterating on around your thesis around NFTs from an economic and cultural standpoint, and you outlined four types of economic utility. I would just like to touch on each of those real quick because it's super interesting. So the first one is form utility, then time, place, and possession. Can you walk me through each of those briefly and talk about how Web3 can improve on each of these? Totally. Yeah. So the simple sort of framework is that there's sort of four kinds of value that we kind of economists and sort of economics 101, you know, used to kind of frame utility value of, of a product or a service in the, in the marketplace, right? One is form utility, which is effectively like, let's say you take a cocoa bean, right? Turning that into chocolate, right? You've take, you've turned the form and made it more valuable to the consumer and you can charge effectively charge more money for it, right? So anytime you are able to change form, I think that's sort of a type of utility. I think in Web3, you see this because, you know, you can, you know, every chain is different, right? You get the utility uh, is very different. You can take a Web3 token and you can turn it into something else or you can wrap it. And so I think NFT creators can think a lot about like the form utility, right? In that way. Time utility is, is really simple, which is save time, right? Basically, if something takes 10 minutes and you can make it take five minutes, like that's five minutes that you can effectively has some value to the end consumer, right? So this is like, you know, the value of a, of a, of a, you know, I mean, you see this all the time in comparisons, like Solana says, we're super fast to finality, right? That is kind of effectively time utility, the way that they framed it. There's possession utility, which is like you get, you know, effectively you get to do something that, that you weren't able to do before. Like you weren't able to buy a, a, a nice piece of fine art from an artist that you like. Now you can. That's sort of possession utility. And I think that's also really important. One thing I love about crypto is I, I believe in the sort of the future being one liquid market where like everything just gets bought and sold in this one liquid marketplace, which I guess DeFi is that, right? That's kind of another way of talking about it. Okay. So there's form, time. Oh, and place utility, right? Which is, this is, Less relevant, though, I think maybe if you mental, you know, you can you can say the place utility is like, well, let's say I build an app, but you can only use it if you're on Ethereum, right? And that you have a bunch of users who are not on Ethereum bringing it into wherever they happen to be. It can be really valuable. And so if you're if you're building, I, I always think about this, like, what are you what value are you providing? And it should be one of those four. You're either creating you know, you're either changing form, creating value that way. You're saving people time, creating value that way. You're bringing something closer to a group of people. You're, you're creating value that way, or you're, you're making it possible to, you know, give access to a group of people that may not have had access to it before. And I think the best businesses do all five or all four, excuse me. Right. So Amazon, for example, save time and, you know, two day shipping money, things are cheaper form, you know, pretty obvious and possession. Right. And so, and they're a massive $2 trillion whatever dollar company, right? And, and what does Google do? Google is primarily time utility, right? Saves you time. Uh, they do less of the other things. And so, yeah, I'm always kind of just thinking about that. 
Sean Purry hosts the My First Million podcast and writes the Milk Road email newsletter, which is a trusted source of daily crypto information, helping you stay up to date in Web3. Sean broke down his framework for how to get involved in Web3 and get as close to the game as possible. Now, I come back to this clip time and time again when thinking about how I want to participate in this industry. How can I play the game? Well, I host a podcast, I write a newsletter, and I create weekly market recaps to educate and inform people on YouTube. How can you get on the field? Anytime there's something that you're interested in, you have multiple ways that you can participate. And so I kind of break this down into, you know, you're, you're outside the stadium. That's, you know, you're not, not participating. Then you could be in the stadium and you could be in the crowd as a cynic. So a cynic is watching, but they got their arms folded They're you know, it's just waiting for things to go wrong. And when everybody's cheering around them, they get grumpier and grumpier. So that's like level four is you're, you're a cynic level three, which is getting closer. You're, you're a fan. So you're cheering alongside, you're hoping your team wins, but you're really not contributing in any way besides, you know, moral support. And then you could be kind of like on the sidelines and now you're, you know, maybe you're a coach or you're a assistant or you're a water boy or whatever it is. And you're sort of helping the people that are playing the game. This might be an investor. This might be a consultant or an agency, something like that. And then there's playing the game and playing the game is like the players on the field and the players on the field are the ones that actually you know, like they, they're the ones who decide the, the, what the final score is going to be. And so as much as possible, I try to get as close to playing the game as I can, given the, the sort of resources that are admitted to me. Why? Why? Because I think it's the most fun. I think you learn the most that way. You know, to the victor goes the spoils, right? So, so the, the person actually playing the game is the one who benefits, right? Like the fan, they cheers, they go home, they get the good feeling that their team won. But the player actually like, you know, sort of owns that win and gets the benefit of becoming, you know, a champion. So for me, I, I basically was like, I want to get as close to the field as possible. And so I do some stuff that's like the coach or, or, you know, person on the sideline, which is I invest or I'll advise projects that I think are really interesting. But then being a player on the field is actually to make something in this space. And I decided, I was like, well, I can make something, you know, am I going to go build a protocol or a DAP or am I going to like make one of those? Or in my case, I decided to build the largest trusted media brand. So basically, who do you trust and who do you like when it comes to crypto? And I decided that that's what I wanted to build was the largest audience, uh, largest trusted audience of crypto you know, enthusiasts. So that's what I decided to build with the Milk Road. And, you know, we're on our way. Awesome. Yeah, definitely have some questions about the Milk Road we'll get into. I've been a reader of it and have found it super insightful. I think it's just like a great blend of education meets like pertinent, timely information meets like also some comedy and just really good finds from Twitter. So I've been appreciating that. Kara Wu is an investor on the A16Z crypto team and is working towards building out the future of Web3 gaming, DAOs, and creator economies. She joined the podcast and talked about how the gaming industry is poised for innovation and disruption. She shares a concept of the consolidation curve and how direct user acquisition and community engagement are flourishing in Web3 games and how new incentives will bring in the next wave of gamers on the blockchain in a very different way than how it's been done over the last 25 years. I saw you mention on a Twitter thread something called the consolidation curve that was happening within the gaming industry. And I hadn't heard of that before. But could you please like describe that and and 
Is that consolidation curve why we're seeing so much backlash from gaming companies uh, against, you know, NFTs and, and Web3? I feel like I've seen a lot of negative comments from traditional gaming companies about, you know, the combination of NFTs and, the, and metaverses. So I'll, I'll like very quickly describe the consolidation curve. This is probably something we can also link. It's this well-documented phenomenon in most industries. There's tons of data points and a very long time span. <laughs> like the time series is really great here. Typically, it takes around 25 years for an industry to mature to the point of 70 to 90% consolidation among the top three firms. And at that point, you know, innovation looks very different. In order to continue to grow, they have to be a lot more aggressive. These firms have to be a lot more aggressive about monetizing their consumers and people who want to win, right, against enormous amounts of, of capital and resources have to do something very different, right? And so I think like indie game studios right now are facing pressure from all sides. It's hard to compete with big money. It's hard to compete with fast follow development, preferential cross-promotion, and when the platform becomes the largest publisher, studios lose their key point of leverage, which before was cross-platform distribution deals. So like a good example is Fortnite. They were able to dominate culture by issuing publishers and making themselves deliberately available on every platform that games can be played on. So now it's been almost exactly 25 years since the first commercial broadband MMO was released, which was Ultima Online in 1997. Part of the consequence of this is like, Content gets funneled to vertically owned distribution channels, like Elder Scrolls being exclusive to the Xbox, for example. Just to try to understand what this looks like, it's like the same content balkanization that you see in television, where you have to now subscribe to every streaming service because of verticalization and exclusive media rights. I think Web3 is a new point of leverage that you know enables the most innovative and risk-taking game developers to circumvent that asymmetric advantage that these like, you know, consolidated and verticalized publishers now have. The biggest thing here is like they can own their community, like direct user acquisition and community engagement. Today, it looks like discord groups. But you know, tomorrow, it looks like having all this on chain data, when the identity primitive, like on chain identity primitive is more, you know, mature, it's being able to like, you know, really like take the Fortnite example to its logical extreme, which is bringing universal availability down to the object level. So like axes can be bought, sold and played anywhere. That's very powerful, even as a distribution mechanism for Axie Infinity, right? The other thing is, I'm like a decentralization maxi in some ways. It's like open economies provide ownership incentives that drive like composable esports, creator economies, incentivized modding, like guild growth. I think, yeah. So like all of these things bring in people who are invested in the game in a way that is very different and hopefully much more powerful than what we've seen in, in Web2 gaming. Scott Commoners is a Harvard Business School professor and is working on the A16Z crypto team as well. We talked about Web3 identity and reputation and how NFTs will allow us to create a better picture of our digital lives while taking that with us as we navigate the internet. Listen to how he describes it here. The paradigm that you own your identity, that everything sort of lives in your crypto wallet and can be carried from place to place, 
is incredibly powerful, right? Like so much of our Web2 online activity is a form of identity, right? We're, you know, we're posting photos on Facebook and Instagram. We're updating profiles on LinkedIn. We're sort of creating all of these, you know, receptacles of identity. But first of all, they only live in the, the frame of the platform they're in. We don't have a way to sort of like turn them into a more abstract and sort of complete representation of ourselves. And also, they're very siloed, right? You, you can't sort of, you know, there, there are integrations, there are plugins and things that let you sort of, you know, use your LinkedIn information to pre-fill some form or something of the sort, but you don't have the ability to sort of really control that identity itself. Yeah. A lot to respond to there, you know, one is the articles that you wrote with Jad were something that I found super insightful on the topic of repu reputation identity. We'll definitely be sure to link those because it spawned a bunch of questions, some of which I want to ask you today. So thanks for putting that together. And then your your comment about Web2 identity and reputation being siloed, I, I kind of want to add a a clarification point on that, because I feel like the the word siloed, it makes so much sense to me coming from like a computer information systems background. And for people who may not have experience with like database design or something, I want to kind of say that every internet company we interact with basically has a database. And you can think of that database sitting on its own, right? And then there's every website is its own database. And so we say the our data is siloed, they're, they're disconnected between all those companies, all those databases and systems. And so in a Web2 world where they're disconnected, we talk about in Web3 how those databases can now talk to each other in open and accessible ways. So is am I am I capturing that right when you talk about Web2 being siloed and, and the that difference in Web3? 100%. And and this is a really important point for you know platform competition too. Christian and I wrote a piece about this for um, CPI TechReg Chronicle. When you think about what portable identity means for platform competition, right? Or, or you know, and, and portable identity, portable like assets. The fact that I hold all of my NFTs in a, in a crypto wallet that I can point any individual trading platform to means that if a new trading platform comes along that, you know, sort of is offering more rewards or lower prices or whatever, people can just switch over if they want. They just, you know, take their crypto wallet and point the new platform to it. And that's precisely what happened in the context of LooksRare, right? You know, when they, they launched through what's called a vampire attack, they provided direct incentives to try and get people to switch over. And they were able to use the fact that these databases are public, right? They could, you know, use the fact that they could see who had made a lot of OpenSea transactions and directly offer them incentives. You know, you have a reputation, if you will, for being a, a big trader in NFTs. And LooksRare can say, great, we're going to reward you in particular if you join our platform. And then the actual act of switching platforms is as simple as connecting your wallet to a different site. Similarly, like let's, let's imagine that in the context of something like social media. You know, in the Web2 world, you can't just sort of take your, your content out of Facebook or, or out of, you know, sort of Twitter or something of the sort. You, you actually can typically export it, right? These platforms give an export option, but it's sort of in a very disorder, you know, sort of like proprietary organization. And you can take a lot of your data, the things you've created, but you often can't take, you know, platform assets or, or platform generated data from your interactions. Whereas often a lot of that actually does live on chain in Web3 as well. You can take these assets off of a Web2 platform by exporting them, but there's no way to like use that. It's not in a standardized format that you can just bring to some other platform and have that platform then plug into and use. 
Whereas again, in Web3, because everything lives on these interoperable standards, interoperable meaning you know, sort of the same digital asset can be used sort of across platforms. They all sort of agree to like plug into the same type of infrastructure or, or same, you know, sort of category of infrastructure. It really is possible to like, you know, to take your assets and use them in lots of different ways, right? You can have an NFT in your wallet that you, you know, you point your Twitter profile image to. And then you also like point some online gallery to, and you also use as like a, you know, a projected metaverse wearable in Decentraland or something like that. And that's very powerful, right? You have this one digital asset, which you yourself own and can simultaneously and seamlessly sort of port into all of these different platforms because they're all working on a single standard. truth is I could have included podcast clips from every single episode that we had this year. We don't have time for a five-hour podcast episode. So for the last clip of the best of the year 2022, here's one from Adam Levy, host of the Mint podcast, which delivers an exclusive look into how creators of today are building the communities of tomorrow. I got to give love to other Web3 podcasts when I can. Adam is also an entrepreneur working on making Web3 creator data more accessible. So he shared three tips for Web3 creators in this clip. And if you want to learn more, listen to the pod for everything he knows about how Web3 creators of today can get started and build community and monetize their work through NFTs. I hope you enjoy it. If there is three tips that we're giving to people who want to build Web3 community or get into the creator economy themselves through NFTs, you know what, what kind of tips can we give to these people starting out? And if we can list three, that'd be phenomenal. Yeah. Okay. So I think the first one is don't be afraid to experiment because there are no rules here. Nobody sort of remembers your failures unless it's like an incredibly huge rug pull or I don't know, a DeFi hack of some sort. So like if you're just like a small time creator, just due to the space coming into crypto, join as many communities as you can. Right. And just like try to try to experiment yourself, try to issue some NFTs, free NFTs, fail, get rejected and like, just keep like tampering and and tinkering with what's possible. I think that's number one. Don't be afraid to experiment. Number two, this is something that Daniel Allen taught me, who's like a really, really well-known successful, like web three, web three native musician and producer in the space. He had a successful campaign that did incredibly well. And he did it with like 200 Twitter followers. And he's like, you know, people may seem like I did something that was an overnight success, but I really did my homework and put six months into sort of climbing across different Discord channels, going to different events, doing one-of-ones with people before I had a drop. So the second point is before trying to attempt something yourself, that's like really big and grandiose that you expect some type of sizable outcome, really do your diligence and homework and meet other people in the community that might end up just collecting from you down the line. And the third tip is I like seeing people who consistently show up That could be either from like consistently showing up with your time or consistently showing up with your money. So either continuously collecting other things from other creators, right? And building like social capital or kind of like being involved in different communities with your time and using like your governance power, right? To kind of contribute on chain. Don't be afraid to experiment, do your homework and be consistent. I think those are the top three things. Yeah. I like that a lot. And I feel like tip number two on that community building kind of comment and and showing up 
is that still, so you still think that's a valuable thing to do, even as we're moving a little bit away from, I feel like these Discord groups. I mean, Discord, a year ago, <laughs> everyone was saying, you gotta be there, you gotta be paying attention to all these Discord channels. Everyone kind of got Discord burned out. So, but you're still feeling, maybe it's not even Discord only, it maybe is Twitter and other platforms where conversations are happening. If it's not Discord, then it's Twitter. If it's not Twitter, then it's Farcaster. If it's not Farcaster, then it's Lens, Lenster, right? And general Lens protocol. If it's not those platforms, then it's Telegram, right? Just try to be on the pulse and, and find a way to get involved. I think a good place to start is sort of listening to, to things like your stuff, right? And just listening to these individuals that, and not necessarily me, but other people that you've had on, right? Other content on there, right? That sort of give guidance as to like how to related content or like educational pieces, as to how to take those first steps. And through the dialogue, you'll find out like different tidbits as to where you should be spending your time. I just listed a bunch as well, right? That extend beyond Discord. Thank you so much for listening to the best of the year 2022 podcast episode. If you enjoyed any of these clips or any episodes from the entirety of the year, I'd really appreciate it if you could give us a review on Apple Podcasts, drop a review on Spotify. It really helps us grow and lets us know we're doing a good job. And please drop a comment. Let us know what you'd like to hear more of in 2023, whether that's interviews from builders, creators, investors, or deep dives with unstoppable partners. With that, I'll catch you next year. Hope you have a great holiday. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Unstoppable Podcast. If something we said today resonated with you, please leave us a review, subscribe, and share this with your friends. And remember, this conversation doesn't have to end here. Tweet us your questions, thoughts, and ideas to Unstoppable Web. I look forward to hearing from you, and thank you so much for listening.